We're going to a series called Made and Crafted. Uh, the book of Ephesians is about how God is crafting, how He is designing with intention a community of people in the world to be the fullness of Christ in a particular place. How God is, like with His own two hands, shaping a community. That He is literally making us and crafting us to be the people of God here in San Francisco. This happens individually, but most importantly, it happens corporately. Today we'll be reading and looking at one of Paul's prayers for the people in Ephesus. There are two powerful prayers in this book for the people of, uh, of God in Ephesus. Um, but this is the first one. So keep in mind, I'm going to read the text and then pray. But keep in mind as I read that this whole section is, again, one sentence, just like last week it was all one sentence. And it's a prayer. So I'm going to read a prayer. And the prayer is attached to all the spiritual blessings that we talked about last week. So keep that in mind. As I read to you, starting in verse 15, I'm going to read down to verse 21, and then I'll pray. Paul says, and Paul prays, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, by your spirit, I pray you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive the scriptures today. My words have, I'm, I'm, I'm struck with that even more so this morning than, than typically, that my words are so very limited. But I pray, God, that you would open up our eyes that we would all come to know the things that we have in Christ, that we would know who we are in Christ, that we would know who our Father is, that we would know all the riches of our inheritance, that we would know the power that is available to us. I pray these things and more, that you would open up our eyes to see them. We all come in here with all these different situations, with all this baggage, all excitement or pain, joy and sorrow, all of it, God. And we submit it to you and we pray, God, that you would speak to us individually, and then today, as a church, we pray, pray you would speak to us corporately. I submit all of my capacities to you, my mind and my heart. I ask that you would use me for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to open this morning today by trying to explain what just happened. Not, not the um, eldership installation, but what just happened right there. I, I, gave, I read a little scripture and, and I prayed. And I don't know if you ever noticed this, but that is typically how I try to start every Sunday morning. I don't know when that started. I don't know if it started years ago when the church first started or like way beyond that. I don't really even remember. But typically how it goes is that I'll, I'll read a chunk of scripture and then I'll pray and then I'll, I'll start talking, teaching, preaching, whatever. It depends on the day, right? So, I, I get that is, so it's scripture reading and then prayer and then teaching. And the prayer that I, that I pray after I read the scripture is actually, there's a name for it. There's a traditional name for it. It's called the prayer of illumination. It's actually written in my notes, like read and then prayer of illumination. 
And I'll sometimes write down the prayer. It wasn't written down today. I mean, I used to really early on as well, like certain things I want to pray for the church. But typically I'll read and, and pray. And, and that, that prayer means this. That prayer is that these, these, what I read were words on a page, and then my words are words that come out of a microphone. But what happens here on, on a Sunday gathering is spiritual. It's not just a lecture. This is not just information. I believe the best and most well-structured argument given by the most eloquent person wouldn't be able to convince everyone to believe in Jesus. There needs to be something deeper than that. There needs to be something more spiritual than that. And therefore, we need spiritual eyes to see and perceive what we read on a Sunday. And so I have to pray. I have to pray for me. I have to pray for you. I pray for us. God, open our eyes. I just read that. Those were words on a page. Those were great words. Some of them are really powerful, but they're words. And my words are just words. Do something deeper than all of that. Do something where the eyes of our hearts are open. We need spiritual eyes to perceive what we read on Sunday. Words on a page, and my words, are extremely limited. My words are extremely limited. My illustrations I use are extremely limited. The, 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 the language I use, I mean, I don't use really huge words because I, I can't say them. I usually can't pronounce really big words. Like, I use very simple words because, and I know that all of my words have a, real, a lot of limitation. But God knows how to speak to your heart. God knows how to speak to your gut, your mind, your spirit, your psyche. God knows how to work on all of that. And so typically, I pray for supernatural strength. I open the sermon by praying for supernatural strength, for God to speak through me. But I also, most importantly, speak that God would speak to you as I'm speaking, that God would go beyond my words and speak to you words that I might not even, even say. I, I, I'm so, this happens actually quite a bit. Um, somebody will come up to me after a sermon and quote me to me. Weird. And they'll go, when you said, la, 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 and I'm like, I, ne I never said that. I don't even know what sermon you were in. That, I never said that at all. I don't even know. Where's that from? Like, and that's good. I want to write that down. And that was not me. That was the spirit of, that was the spirit of God speaking to you. I did not say those words at all. That God must have been speaking through my words to you. And I, I think kind of what happens here. And in the prayer of illumination, we're praying that God would give us eyes to see this. I mean, we see it. We read it. We, read, we saw it on the screen. We saw it in our, in our Bibles or in our devices or whatever. We see it, but most of us don't see it. We see it, but we don't see it. We need help. We need our, the eyes of our hearts to be open. That's also the reason why at the end of the sermon, we move into a time of response. And we ask you guys. We don't, we don't make you, but we ask you to stick around for that that. that a long time of response after the sermon because what, what happens during that time is that we worship and we pray and we receive communion and the lights go down and many of us kneel on the carpets and it gets really cosmic in here. It's awesome, right? This happens and now what's happening during that time? We are saying this, open my eyes so I can see what's happening in the scriptures and move my heart to experience what's happened in the scriptures. Open my eyes and move my heart. And what we hope happens in all of this is that when for two hours on a weekend we come together corporately, we say we believe the words of Jesus when he said, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So there's something that happens that, that is beyond words, that is beyond knowledge. I mean, intellectual knowledge or theology, that's way beyond that. And this is what Paul is trying to capture in his prayer. 
We need more than a lecture. We need more than an inspirational Bible talk. We need more than a theology. We need our eyes, the eyes of our hearts to be open so that we can see and experience and know God. And it's almost a bit mystical. And it only happens through prayer. This is the old prayer prayed by preachers. This is what, what Paul is doing is the old prayer prayed by, by, by really good old school preachers when they would pray, God, I've arranged the wood, but you have to bring the fire. That's what Paul is praying. He's like, Paul is praying, I've arranged the wood of theology in verses 3 through 14. I've arranged all the wood of theology. And what I'm doing in the next prayer is I'm praying that God would bring the fire to that theology. You guys remember the theology from last week? Last week we talked about the blessings that we have in Christ. And they were this. This is the theology that Paul's talking about. That God chose us, predestined us, lavished his grace on us, through his blood redeemed us, forgave us, made known to us his plan for the cosmos, sealed us with the Holy Spirit, gave us a new identity, and is working everything out in our lives toward us living into that new identity. That is the, that is the knowledge right there. That is the theology that Paul said. But now what he does what we just read is that Paul says, I pray that you would, you would take the full appropriation of that theology into your lives. I pray that it would get in there because by simply listing the blessings, which is important, doesn't mean that you know them. Paul wants to list them and then he wants us to pray that you know them. And this combination of, of like theology and like spiritual enlightenment is where all the magic is. And by magic, I mean like good magic, like God magic, like not dark magic. Anyway, anyway, sorry. Like that's where, that, that's, the, that's the alchemy of like power for Paul. Like no, I want you to hear the theology and I want you to know it experientially. I want you to know. Therefore, there's a, a difference between knowing, head knowledge, theology, and knowing as in being enlightened. So Paul is praying that you would be enlightened Paul is praying that you would know, and this is my prayer for you today. This is the intercessors, they're praying, the prayer team afterwards. This is what we're praying, that you would know. Not just like, I, I, took, I took down notes, I know the three points, but know that you would, you would know this. Now, what is Paul, how does Paul pray? Well, let's back up a little bit, first off. What is prayer? What is prayer? So Paul prays, what is prayer? One of the oldest classical definitions of prayer defines prayer this way. Prayer is lifting mind and heart to God. Prayer is lifting mind and heart to God. And so this is what Paul's doing. So the question is, what's on Paul's mind and what's on Paul's heart? Answer, they are. The Ephesian churches. When Paul lifts his mind and his heart to God, what's right there on his mind and his heart is the church of Ephesus. Look what he says in verse 15 and 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and praying for you. I have not stopped praying for you and thanking God for you. You've been on my mind and on my heart. When Paul lifts up his mind and his heart to God, the church of Ephesus is there. First of all, this is a wonderful model for prayer. Um, our, our community group this last week, we've been trying every week to uh, practice silence in our personal devotional life. So we'll do like a practice together and then do it all week and check in at next community group. And, um, and this last week, what we, what we decided on doing was like being really quiet before God and still before God and then just thinking about the members of each other, like our community group, and thinking about each other. And then whatever like came up to start offering that to God in prayer. 
like thanking God for them or bringing their, their, their lives before God in prayer, like whatever would come up. And this is like, this is a really great exercise. This is what Paul did. Paul's like, as I've, as I've offered my mind and my heart to God, you're there. And as I've been praying, I've been praying for you. Now, there's two ways that Paul, notice two things about how Paul prays for them. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame them negatively so they stand out to you. But notice two things about how Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. First of all, Paul, prayer for Paul is not crisis management. So when Paul prays, he doesn't pray for crisis management. And secondly, prayer is not about circumstances for Paul. So I, I framed it negatively because I wanted you to see it. So for, for, first of all, prayer is not crisis management for Paul. We typically use prayer as crisis management. And that's not bad. It's good and right to bring our crisis and the crisis of others to God in prayer. But we typically use prayer as like a last-ditch effort. We usually go, I've tried everything. I'm going to pray for you. Like it's the very last thing that we think about doing. Or think of it like this. Imagine that you are in a, your community group, right? And you're going around in your community group and you're sharing prayer requests and you're checking in for the week. Just imagine that's happening. And you're going around and some person brings up that they're in the middle of a crisis, like, I had this really bad thing happen in their lives. They're like, uh, you know, th they might have, like, went through a really great loss this past week. It was a loss of a relationship or a loss of a job. And everyone goes, oh, wow, oh, okay, we're going to pray for you. Okay, so that person goes, you're like, oh, prayer request, all kinds. And you go to the next person. And the next person says, um, they've been really walking close with Jesus this last week, and they've experienced the tangible ways that God has used them to love people through their hands. And then we autumn, as soon as that person shares that, we're like, we look at them, we're like, well, that person doesn't need prayer. <laughs> Next, right? You just don't even pray for that person. Like, you don't want to pray for that person. Like, we don't want to pray for you because you're doing too good. We would even probably, we'd even probably ask that person, like the, the, like, the super Christian person, like, pray for crisis boy or something, right? Like, you need to pray for that person, obviously. That's what you need to do. Rub that thing, whatever that is. Give that, put that to that person. That's what we, that's what we would think. That's how we would. We would, but, but Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't think this way. He says, ever since I've heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for God's people, which is probably one of the greatest definitions of what a follower of Jesus is, someone who has faith in Jesus and love for God's people, ever since I've, I, I've heard about how you've been crushing it as a follower of Jesus, I have not stopped praying for you. <laughs> why? why? Why is Paul going, I hear you killing it. I haven't stopped praying for you. Why? Paul sees prayer as adding fuel to fire. Paul sees prayer as like when he sees someone that's doing good, he's like, I'm going to pray for that person. He sees a church that's doing good. I'm going to pray for that church. Why? Because he wants, he sees prayer as adding fuel to this. If, it's, if, if a fire is going, he's adding more and more fuel to it. He wants to see them more and more effective. We can and should pray for people in crisis. But there's also the person in our community group or in our church that's doing really good, and they're totally following Jesus, and they're generous, and they're Kevin, caring, and they're loving others. They're Kevin. They are Kevin. <laughs> that, was, that, that was on purpose. Um, they're loving others. They are really, really doing well, and you know what? They need your prayer. And this is what Paul's doing. He's like, you guys are killing it as Christians. I want to pray for you. And secondly, secondly, Notice how this prayer is not about prayer about a change of circumstances. Paul doesn't even 
mention, actually, in all of Paul's recorded prayers for the churches, he never prays for the church's circumstances. He doesn't pray, God, would you give them this material thing? Would you give them a wife or a husband or a job or rent control, three bedroom and Nopa or like whatever, you know, like he doesn't do that. He doesn't like pray the, the like for, he, he, he doesn't do, he doesn't pray for the thing. He, he also doesn't pray that God would change something in their lives. He doesn't, he, he doesn't say, what, would this person be healed or, or this person be helped? He doesn't, he doesn't pray that either. Again, these are not bad things to pray for. They're good things to pray for. We should pray for the sick and for situations where people, that, that people are going through. We are given models by Jesus and by Paul to pray for these circumstances and for the things going on in our world. We're told to pray that way. But what does Paul do when Paul starts to pray for someone? When Paul starts getting worked up in prayer, Paul actually gets above all that. When Paul gets wrapped up in praying for the church and for people, he starts to pray about what they most need. He ignores their immediate circumstances. He assumes that everyone has different situations they are going through. Some are crushing, where it's hard to breathe or even hard to eat. Some so riddled with anxiety, it's hard to get out of bed and come to church in the morning. He assumes that that is the case. But what he prays, he prays that in every life circumstance that you find yourself in, no matter what, that you would see Jesus. That you would see that and whatever you're going through as an opportunity to know Jesus better. That you would process every circumstance you are going through in a way that, that, that you will make, that will make you more like Jesus because your eyes, your heart's eyes are open to see Jesus. He prays no matter what you're going through, and it could be a million things. I pray that what you're going through, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened and you would know Jesus more. It's kind of mystical, kind of, but not really. It's, it, it's, this, it's that thing when you are going through something hard, difficult, something so difficult and a time of being lonely, a time of being lost, a time of being hurt, that during that time, you've, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, I'm confident that many of you have. When you're going through crushing situations where you feel and experience and sense God draw near to you, that's what he's praying for. And that, and that happen, what happens during this like crushing time is that God teaches you something about himself and about yourself that you would have never had the opportunity to learn if you had not gone through this very difficult thing. That illumination is what Paul prays for, is that as you're going through crushing circumstances, that you would know that God is with you. He also knows this, that if you do not have this, if you don't have the eyes of your hearts open to Jesus, if you don't have that, you don't have anything. No matter what circumstance you're going through, if you don't have that, you have nothing. Even if you have the best circumstances anyone could ask for, if you don't have what Paul is praying for, eventually it will all crumble and you'll be utterly alone. He wants that your heart, the eyes of your hearts to be open so that you can see Jesus. And he prays that whatever your life circumstance, through that circumstance, God would, God's presence would enlighten something inside of you. Something would come alive in you that wasn't there before. That you would know that God is right there with you that you would not know, you, you, would, you wouldn't see your circumstance as if God has abandoned you, but the opposite would happen, that you would know God was with you. And so what this means is that the goal of this life is not to get all your circumstantial prayers answered. 
The goal of this life is not to make a giant prayer list and get all those things answered. I know a lot of us pastoring now people in their 20s and 30s for a while. People in their 20s and 30s are filled with a lot of idealism, especially in this town. And we, we, you guys come into the city with a lot of what you want to see God do and change in your life, the hope that you have for the world that God works through your hands. You're filled with a lot of idealism. And that's okay. And you can have those. And you can have all of those prayers and all of those hopes. But the goal is not to see all those good circumstantial prayers answered. The goal is to know Jesus better through every circumstance you go through. That's the goal. So if you have a a huge prayer list and you don't see them answered, the goal isn't to answer and check all the boxes on on your life goal list or your giant prayer list. Keep praying for them. That's great. But the goal is that and every single time you do not get the prayer or you get the prayer, that you would come to know Jesus better through that. That's the goal. And this is what Paul prays, that everything that you go through, may you come to know Jesus better. Now, I want to I explain that, knowing Jesus better. What does that mean? It's, it's like super spiritual, whatever. Like, wh- how do I know Jesus better? Let's talk about that for a few minutes. What does it mean to know Jesus better? It, it, feels, it seems pretty Bible-y. Look, look at how Paul says it in verse, in verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Again, pretty bible language here. His prayer is that, is that you and I would comprehend what God has already done for us in Christ. This is all last week's stuff. Everything that Christ has done for us, that we would comprehend it, that we would understand that Christ has blessed us, that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul prays that he will, that God would open up the eyes of our hearts that we can fully grasp all the implications of all of these privileges. Let me explain it to you like this. Again, these are my words. They don't come across unless you, unless you see it. Let me try to explain it this way. When we first met Christ, when you and I first met Christ, if you if became a follower of Jesus later on in life or early on, when you first met God through Christ, we at that time would go to God for immediate need. So we'd have this immediate need, this felt need, and God would meet that need. God, at that moment, gives love and forgiveness and healing in his presence. That's why we turn to God. There are all these, all these reasons are when I first started following Jesus at age 16, all the things that, that I, I was getting from God, like I was getting forgiveness, where I had, I had really, really messed up. I was receiving God's presence. I really felt like God was with me. I actually saw at the age of 16 like a vision of Jesus and I wasn't on drugs. I saw a vision of Jesus and I'm like, I see, like, it, 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 you, we go to God for all these things. And when you're born again, you become like a baby. You become like a spiritual baby. And all that you really know in this stage of your spiritual development is that God has milk. That's what you know, that God has nourishment. And you go to him like a newborn baby would go to their mother. What do you know about God? God has forgiveness, and I, I need that. God has, and, I, and that's great, and that's beautiful. You know God, and you know him in a way where you're like, I know to go to him for nourishment. Now, some of us get stuck there, stuck on spiritual milk, Paul would call it. But Paul would want us to grow up. When there comes a point in our maturity in Christ when we need to know more about God, We need to know more about God's resources, more about God's ability, more about who God is. 
See, most of us know God through Jesus, but we don't know what we got. We don't know what we have in Christ. We don't know about the hope. We don't know about the riches. We don't know about the power. A couple of weeks ago, there was a, a skit, an SNL, Saturday Night Live bit. This was a really disturbing and yet really funny skit. And I think it might help us capture what I'm trying to say here, and I can't believe I'm going to share this. But um, the bit was called Beyonce's Twins, and it was with Kenan Thompson and Tracy Morgan, who played Beyonce's Twins in her womb, all right? So um, this was a, I can't even, I can't even look at that. Um, so it's such a super creepy, weird skit. Um, and what's funny about this, this sketch was that the, these twins, okay, take that off now, I can't. Can't even do it. <laughs> what was funny about this sketch was that these twins, the, the whole premise was that these twins were in Beyonce's womb and they knew who their mom was and they knew her influence and they knew her wealth and all that was going to be available to them. And they were in the womb. They're like, wow. And it's like velvet, everything is plush and they're partying in there. And, and it's like, and they knew all the things that were going to finally happen to them when they came out of the womb and they knew how good they had it. And what's so funny, it's actually a funnier sketch in retrospect, what's so funny about this concept is that babies don't know who their mom is. They don't know how much wealth their parents have. They don't know the influence or the power their parents have. They're babies. They know milk and hugs. That's about it. That's all they know from their, their mom and dad. What's funny about this is imagining that the, the, these babies in Beyonce's womb that actually knew that who their parents were, that they knew it, that they got it. And that's what that was the premise of the joke. And it was really, I can see like SNL people in a writer's room saying, what if Beyonce's twins actually knew who their parents were? Because they didn't, because babies don't know. And what Paul is saying, I pray, for, God forgive me for that um, illustration, but I, what I pray happens. <laughs> what Paul is saying is that I, I pray that you would know who your father is. You're like a baby, you don't know. And you go, no, God's good. He gives me milk, it's great. And Paul's like, oh, no, I pray that you would actually know that you are a child of God. I pray that you would know the hope that you are called into by being a child of God. I pray that you know the riches of your inheritance that you have by being a child of God. I pray that you know the power that is available to you by being a child of God. I pray that you know that. Because a lot of us don't know that. We know that God is really good at forgiving and we're really good at sinning. And that's about it. That's all we know. We don't know like the depths of his riches. We don't know all that's available to us. And, and Paul says, for that to happen, you need to know the theology, yes, but you need, a, you need prayer that your eyes would be open and that you would know what you have in Christ. So what are these things he prays for? Three things, we'll go through them very fast. First, he, these, this is his prayer of illumination. I pray that you know the hope, the riches, and the power is what he prays. He says, I pray you know the hope of calling, the riches of community, and the, and the power of resurrection. First, hope of calling. He says, I pray that you know the hope to which he has called you. When we talk about hope, we imply that the state of affairs we desire is somehow uncertain. We say things like, I hope it doesn't rain anymore ever, right? <laughs> now, meaning, we don't know. We just hope it doesn't rain, especially this week. We just hope it doesn't rain. That's all. We don't know. We just hope. That's hope. That's usually like a Western idea of hope. It's like, uh, like we, we don't really know, but we hope that something happens. Christian hope is different. 
Christian hope is about having the conviction that my present circumstances don't determine the meaning of my life. Christian hope is about having the conviction of knowing that my present circumstances, whatever I'm going through, don't determine who I am in Christ and the meaning of my life and where I'm ultimately going. It might rain tomorrow, and I'm speaking metaphorically, but that doesn't determine the meaning of my life. Oh, it might rain in my life tomorrow. It might rain in my marriage tomorrow. It might rain in my whatever tomorrow. But that does not define who I am. I am a child of God. I am in Christ. No matter what the world is going through or what I'm going through in my world, that doesn't get to determine the meaning of my life. My hope is in Christ. My life is in Christ. And as Paul says in verse 20, and Christ has been raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. My hope is there with Christ. That determines the meaning of my life. That does. And so I'm immovable in this life. I have resilience. I have a backbone. I have, I have stamina. I can actually get through this life and all of the things that come at me because my hope is laid up in Christ. And Jesus brings life out of death. And Jesus is reversing the effects of our broken humanity. And Jesus is making all things new. And my hope is there. Christian hope is not implying a lack of confidence about the future. Christian hope is future hope. But do you see why Paul has to pray for that? Do you see why Paul prays that we would wake up to the reality of Christian hope, hope in Jesus? Because I can say future hope. I can like, I'm not like, I'm not one of those like dramatic preachers. I wish I was, I'm just not. I can like get worked up and talk about hope. And then you guys will be going, ooh, yeah. And then it's gone. Like you walk out of this building and it's gone, right? You're like, you miss a bus, Uber ride cancels on you. And you're like, I can't believe this. My life is horrible. I can't even do this anymore. And you lose it. You lose it like that. But, but, but this is different. Paul says that he prays that you would see it. And what this means is that the, the eyes of your heart would be open. He prays that you would, this is something that would be caught, not taught. Now you can teach it. I can say it. But something in your heart would see it. One day, the lights come on in your heart and in your spirit. And you get it. And then nothing can take it away. Nothing. And this is like very, I don't know, it feels a bit esoteric. It feels a little spiritual. It feels like some of you guys that are uh, uh, highly logical and thinkers, you're like, no, give me the thing. I need the formula. I need to work this out. There has to be a better formula than what you're saying. And I go, I just can't give you one. I mean, I can give you the theology. There's no better theologian than Paul. But then Paul just goes, and then I pray you know it. Because you can get it theologically, intellectually, but you don't know it in your, in your gut until God opens the eyes of your heart. But once you know it, you know it. You know when you know. And Paul is praying. He says, this is true. It's theological, but I want you to know it. And I want you to know it. I want you to know it. If you've been a part of a Jesus community, a church a spiritual community, a different kind of spiritual community, and you're like, I've been a part of it, but I have not known it. Like, I, think, I love their gig. I love their, like, community. I like what they do. I like their rhythms, but I, I, it, it just hasn't come alive in my heart. I, I pray that you would know it. 
I pray that before we even started this church, we had all kinds of prayer meetings in my little apartment. We lived in, down in Santa Barbara all the way when we had prayer meetings here. And we just prayed that, that somehow when we gathered, it wouldn't be the most eloquent thing that happens, but people would get it. Like, they just get it. Like, I get it now. Like, can you explain it? No. And it, it feels really weird, but I'm following Jesus now, and I, I get it. My, the eyes of my heart have been opened. And if that's the only language you have, that's okay. That's okay. Paul prays that, like that your eyes would be open, and we pray that, that you would know this, that you would know the hope. But next, you would know the riches of community. Now, I'm, Paul says it this way, that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I'm going to talk about this at length next week, so I won't stay on this point. But basically what Paul is praying is that we would appreciate the extraordinary value that God places in his church. That we would so appreciate this church community. No matter how messed up it can seem at times, in all of its beauty, and all of its mess, that you and I would commit to and rejoice in and love the Jesus community. And that we would know that the community is his glorious inheritance. Like he loves, it's what he gets at the end of this whole thing is he gets a glorious church to himself and he loves his church and we can't hate his church because hating Jesus' church is like hating Jesus' bride. That's not cool. Like you're like, Dave, I love you, but I don't really like your wife. I'm like, we're not cool then. We're not cool. I'm sorry. You can't say, Jesus, I love you, but your church, I hate it. And Jesus is like, no, that's not cool with me. I love my church. I love my church. And he wants us to know the riches of community. Again, more on that next week. Lastly, the power of resurrection. The power of resurrection. He says this, I pray, and this is, this is so good. Again, I can't even teach on this because you've got to know it. Know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. I pray that you would know power. And then he was very specific on power because when we think of power, we think of someone who can do whatever they want. Like they have resources and they can make almost anything happen. They have power, right? I can do this. I can do whatever. I can make it happen. I have power. And you think someone who can make anything happen or do what they want, they have a lot of power. So when we speak of Christian power, we kind of think that it means having Christian influence or like having hustle for Jesus or something like that. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul clearly qualifies what he means by power. He goes, I want you to know power. Let me tell you what I mean by power. It's the same power that rose Christ from the dead. What kind of power is this? Paul wants us to know about the power of God to make dead things alive. God's like, oh, I want you to know the power of God and the power of God to make dead things alive. I want you to know the power of God to make broken things healed. In the words of Tolkien, I want, you, I want you to know the power to make everything sad come untrue. I want you to know that kind of power. In the words of the ancient Jewish prophet Isaiah, it's the power of God to bestow beauty for ashes, oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of, instead of a spirit of despair. It's like I pray you know the power of God to, to transform your ashes into beauty, your mourning into joy, and your despair into praise. Your dead things into alive things, your broken things into healed things, and all the sad things becoming untrue in Christ. I want you to know that power, and that power is alive in you and is at work in you. That's the power of God in us. That's the work of God in us. It's the power of God in us that says to our heart, this is not the last word. 
It's that power. When you are crushed under a circumstance, when you feel like there's no hope for you, when you look ahead and you look on the horizon of your life and you're like, oh, I have all these really good things happening, but the things that I want the most are crushing me because I, I, can't, I can't have them. I don't have them. I don't, I, I don't know if I'll ever get them. Or the thing I had is lost. And you would hear God say, this is not the last word. This is not the last word. It is not over yet. That in Christ, he is putting all things right. He is redeeming and he's reconciling and he is renewing everything. Everything. And that reconciling, redeeming work is in us and then is it, it's at work in us. It's, it's going to work on us and it's making us new. It's making us whole. And I, I want to pray for you in a second. I want to move into a time of responding to God. That for those of you who need to hear that, that you would posture yourself in a way that you today would receive that word from God. This is not the last word. My power is at work in you. And that by, and God by his spirit would speak to you today. That this thing is not going to have the last word. The power of Christ is at work in you. And he's restoring you, and he is reconciling you, and he's renewing you. And not just you, but us, the church. And not just us, the church, but the whole world. He is renewing and reconciling everything in Christ. Everything. And so with that, let me pray for you as we move into time of responding to God. If you're willing, would you open your hands up in a posture of receiving? Lord, I pray for this church. Those seated around this building now, that they would know you, God. They would know you through an intimate, a revelatory experience with the living God. That by your spirit, you would make the truths of the scriptures come alive in our hearts. I pray that we would know the love of Christ. That we would know the riches of this church and the people around us. That we know the hope that you've called us to in Christ and the power that's at work in us. And not just us, but this church, and not just this church, but the world. You're at work. And I pray that we know that. Supernaturally, God, I pray that you'd speak that to hearts today. I pray for anyone who's resistant to you, that is just so skeptical, that thinks this is so phony and emotional, I pray that you would speak to them in the way they need to hear it, God. And I pray all of us would posture ourselves in a way just to receive today from the living God. Thank you, Jesus, that we have life in you. Thank you that you're making all things new. pray for anyone who doesn't follow you or believe in you. I pray that today they would open their minds and their hearts to you and receive you as Lord and Savior and begin to follow you, Jesus. I pray all this in the strong name of Christ. Amen.